We greet you this morning in the name of Christ, our Lord, who is the head of the church, and count it a joy to be able to be with you, and certainly I'm thankful to be able to provide an uh, opportunity uh, for Brother Cal uh, to be away. I want to invite you to the uh, minor prophet, Hosea, and uh, while you're turning, certainly thank you for our cooperation together as a network of churches in Maryland and Delaware, some 450, and please know that uh, there are many churches that are praying for our church planning efforts in various places around the two states, and so uh, please feel like there's a uh, multitude invisible that is lifting you up and praying for the work that God is doing among you. I want to invite you to the eighth chapter of the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter eight. And before I read there, let me just say that Hosea is a uh, minor prophet, meaning his book is smaller than the major prophets of Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah, but he is certainly a very strategic prophet and one who highlights the, I think, amazing love of God, the unyielding love of God, even when his people are unfaithful, even when his people are Distracted, even when his people are drawn away towards idols, God is faithful and consistent in his love. There's a uh, well known picture that God uses to show his love for the nation of Israel. He uses the prophet Hosea marrying an unfaithful wife and being loving and tender and consistent towards her and he uses that as a model to demonstrate his consistent unyielding love to the nation of Israel when we speak of the nation of Israel we're speaking of the ten tribes in the northern part of the nation that make up the nation of Israel over against the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin so let me read here in the 8th chapter and I want you to listen as they think they are right with God. And then I want you to listen to God's assessment of them. And may it be a warning to us to be very thoughtful about what we think about our relationship with God versus what might actually be the status of our relationship with God according to God. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of situations where my assessment was not determinative. Uh, many times I thought my essay or my exam was pretty good. And one of my professors thought it was not so good. Many times I thought I shouldn't get punished. My parents thought, yeah, 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 you should and you will and you shall get punished. <laughs> and so there's many situations we can find ourselves in where our assessment is not the final assessment. And that is certainly 
as it relates to our relationship with the omniscient, holy God of all creation. So listen to Hosea chapter 8, right in the middle of the book. Put the horn to your mouth. One like an eagle comes against the house of the Lord because they transgress my covenant and rebel against my law. Israel cries out to me, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They have instilled kings, but not through me. They have appointed leaders, but without my approval. They make silver and gold into idols for themselves, for their own destruction. Your calf idol is rejected, Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For this thing is from Israel. A craftsman made it, and it is not God. The calf of Samaria will be smashed to bits. Indeed, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. There is no standing grain. What sprouts fails to yield flour. Even if they did, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the nations like discarded pottery. They have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey going off on his own. Ephraim has paid for love. Even though they hire lovers among the nations, I will now round them up and they will begin to decrease in number under the burden of the kings and the leaders. When Ephraim multiplied his altars for sin, they became his altars for sin. Though I were to write out for him 10,000 points of my instruction, they would be regarded as something strange. Though they offer sacrificial gifts and eat the flesh, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their guilt and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities. I will send fire on their cities and it will consume their citadels. I told Brother Cal I wanted us to gather some glimpses of God in the book of Hosea. And one thing to note Immediately in this text is that God really knows where our hearts are as regards him. God really knows where our hearts are as regards him. We can have a religious structure. For example, they installed kings and appointed leaders. We can have religious rituals. They multiplied their altars. They had plenty of altars. We can even say religious things like in verse 2. My God, we know you. And yet Hosea makes it clear. God knows our hearts. God knows when we are distracted. God knows when we are giving him lip service. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah says, 
Many times you Israelites, you worship God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. And then the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, he repeats that declaration of, Hosea, of Isaiah. Many times you worship the Lord with your lips, he says to the religious hypocrites, but he says, but your hearts are far from him. And it's very clear at the beginning of the chapter and throughout that God knows the difference between devotion to him and the establishment of their religious leaders, devotion to him and the altars that they have made, devotion in him and even the proclamations that they declare about God. As you look around and you have friends and acquaintances, as you look around and you see Christians in other places, I imagine sometimes you see devotion or declarations about God that seem rather shallow, seem rather light. And while that may look a certain way to the surrounding culture, while that may even look a certain way to members of our particular congregations, it is clear that we must understand from the scripture that God knows the difference. Yeah. We have a good, we, we, many Christians are good at analyzing the culture around us, uh, the world and the flesh and the devil and everything about our culture, whatever, however you describe our culture, whether you think we live in Egypt or Babylon or Rome. But few Christians ever consider maybe the culture is the way it is because the church is so weak and maybe the church is so weak, lacking power from the Holy Spirit because God is not using his church because his church is distracted from him. real easy to say, hey, maybe the problem's out there. Maybe the problem is among people who are using the language of verse 2. My God, we know you. <clears throat> and maybe God is speaking back in the following verses and saying, no, no, you really don't know me. Uh, put the horn to your mouth. Let me make a declaration. You do not know me like you think you know me. Your hearts are distracted. One, he says, like an eagle will come against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebel against my law. One of the easiest ways to measure our devotion to the Lord is simply obedience to his word. I grew up in a tradition and people love to praise the Lord and people are expressive and emotional about that. People will have tears and all those kinds of things. And I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And, and, and Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Many times we want to give God lip service without the basics of obeying his word. He said, I'm going to come against them because they transgressed my covenant and they rebel against my law. Thou shalt not lie. I mean, how many Christians lie and slander people? How many people, how many Christians engage in kind of the same rhetoric as politicians in Washington, D.C. or people on television with no concern for truth and righteousness in the way that we communicate? Just one example of breaking his law. 
How many Christians are not mindful of our thought lives when Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've sinned against him just like murder. If you lust, just like committing adultery. How many are lazy about our thought lives? God says they have transgressed against my covenant. They rebel against my law. And he says he knows it even as they cry out, my God, we know you. So they're crying out, we are the people of God. We are godly people. And God says, no, you are disobedient and distracted. You may remember when Jesus confronted the religious leaders. Sometimes what did they say? We be Abraham's children. I mean, you can say what you want to say. You can wear the t-shirt that you want to wear. But God knows the difference between those who are loving him with their heart, mind, soul, and strength, which Jesus calls the greatest commandment in the law, and those who are just kind of playing word games. Too often word games get us nowhere. He says in verse 3, Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. When we reject the word of God, we make ourselves vulnerable. When we reject the word of God, when we are disobedient to God, when we idolize or serve or adore or revere things other than God, we make ourselves vulnerable because we are moving away from the presence of God and the protection of God. When people say, I'm grown, I can do what I want. Maybe sometimes like in Romans chapter one, God says, go ahead, go ahead, grown up. I'm at the uh, stage of my life where uh, we have two sons and a daughter. Then we also raised two nephews, two great nephews. And um, you're at that stage where people are grown and people make choices and you can't make choices for people. And you see people get the consequences of good and godly choices. You see people get the consequences of ungodly, unbiblical choices and you just you, you, you just sit back and you, you realize like you, you don't want this bad thing happening to your child or the person you love. You don't want this bad consequence happening but you also realize that choices have consequences and you can't like remove the consequences. You can't act like rejecting God is in Consequential. We can't act like disobeying God's commands are inconsequential. So it says, Israel, you have rejected what is good, therefore you will be vulnerable to enemies around you. If you remember the cycle of the book of Judges, whenever Israel was unfaithful to God, he would give them over to an ungodly nation. When we are disobedient, when we reject God, when we reject what is good, we make ourselves vulnerable. A few years back, I remember I was in a youth group and I watched, we watched some documentary about um, spring break. It wasn't a good documentary. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a family movie documentary. But it did show the vulnerability of being 
drunk or high and not in your good senses and how when you're in those scenarios, other people who mean you no harm, who mean you no good, can do you great harm. It showed how when you're away from parental support, when you're away from family support, when you're away from seeking the righteous ways of God, you put yourselves in vulnerable positions. He says, Israel has chosen what is good, and so an enemy is going to pursue you, and the enemy will overtake you. Now, mind you, oh, this is the part that's like unbelievable. Mind you, all the way when Israel or Judah later is walking down a bad path towards chastisement and towards destruction, all along that path, God is saying at any time, but if you turn back, like the people that you know right now, maybe even some of us in this room, if there are things in our lives that are distracting us from God and leading us to some bad, towards some bad consequences, God is always saying, I'm pointing this out to you right now, not to condemn you, but that you might repent and turn back. So he tells them up front, an enemy is going to pursue you. But they could, they could have cut that off at any point. Sometimes we do God just like sometimes some of our kids do us. Oh, Dad. So I just don't, I think you really need to think through. Ah, Dad. <laughs> then you get that famous sentence. I'm grown. <laughs> cool, be grown. Stop asking me for yes money. <laughs> <laughs> and then you always have that feeling in your stomach. Yeah, you are grown, and one part of being grown is the fact that choices have consequences. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. So they were free in their liberty of choices, but they weren't free to choose whether or not there were consequences. Choices have consequences. They install kings, but not through me. They appointed leaders, but not without my, but without my approval. They made silver and gold into idols for themselves for their own destruction. Your calf idol is rejected, Samaria. My anger burns against you. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For this thing is from Israel. A craftsman made it, and it is not God. The calf of Samaria will be smashed to bits. When the people turned against God, they didn't totally turn against quote-unquote religion. They, 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 they wanted to act as if they were still worshiping God in outward form, even though their hearts had turned against God. They wanted to take whatever idol they were worshiping and baptize it in religion and make it look like they were still worshiping God. In this case, it was the calf in Samaria. And the calf in Samaria was the legacy 
uh, calves that they had been worshiping had set up before in places like Bethel and Dan, which would have been set up by the original Jeremiah, Jeroboam, Jeroboam the first. As a matter of fact, when Israel is at points of faithfulness, it will say their king is faithful like David. And when Israel is at points of idolatry and unfaithful, it will say their king is unfaithful like Jeroboam. The one who began to set up alternative worship. The one who began to say, let's do things this way instead of doing it the way that is laid out in the word of God. Jeroboam was like us, like many of us. Creative. I'm always telling my seminary students, God didn't call you to be creative. He called you to be faithful. He called you to declare his word. You're not the artist. You're the mailman delivering his word. <laughs> So all you're doing, you're delivering his word. He said, he, he, he said, you set up kings, and it weren't the kings that I appointed. It weren't the kings that met the standard that God had. You, had, you set up religious leaders. They weren't the ones that God has established. God said that the Levites were to carry forth the tabernacle, were to carry forth the Ark of the Covenant. And part of the characteristic of Jeroboam is he set up leaders who weren't the Levites because he wanted their loyalty to be to him as a king rather than being to God as Lord. Is that you have set up religious things, you've turned idols, you've made idols of silver and gold for your own destruction. And he says twice, this is rejected, Israel. Your calf idol is rejected. I don't care how religiously you set up your idols, they will be rejected. Our state convention has a multi-year partnership with about 50 churches out in western rural Kenya. Three Baptist associations in rural Kenya. And I'm always, I always feel bad when I'm over there because we do pastor training, we do discipleship, we do VBSs, we help them build an orphanage. We're doing a variety of projects and they always want training and want apologetics regarding the prosperity gospel. And I'm always feeling bad because when I go to developing parts of the world, I'm like, you know, we, when I say we, I just mean America, I mean American Christianity in the largest way you can mean it. We have imported this mess, exported, excuse me, this mess around the world. And now brothers and sisters in places where people are sincerely seeking the Lord have to deal with the distraction of greed and consumption and consumerism that has been baptized in religion. And then we have Christians in America that they smoke donkey dung or they smoke elephant dung and they like political nuts and they want to baptize that in religion. My politics is God's politics. God is on my side. And then we have people that want to baptize this thing in religion or baptize this thing in religion. We're not going to gather together. We're going to go to the racetrack every Sunday. So let's at least make sure uh, uh, before we start the race, we say, you know, our Father, which art in heaven. I mean, you know, we're not going to gather together. We're going to do what we want to do is just have our fun. But let's put something religious on it. And God says in verses 4 through 6, all the religious stuff that you set up, I know it has nothing to do with me because it is not obeying my word. It is not how I told you to establish it. And it means nothing. 
is rejected. Please, as you talk to people, as you engage people, as you engage the person in the mirror. Because I, I always think discipleship and sanctification and all that kind of stuff. You know, Michael Jackson was right about that thing. It starts with the man in the mirror. As you do all those kinds of things, be mindful of the fact that we are subtle and we can deceive ourselves. And we can create idols and put a little religious veneer on it and think we are being devoted to God. And God says, Samaria, your golden calf, your calf idol is rejected. Samaria would have been the capital, the authority, the seat of the northern kingdom. He says in verses 7, indeed, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. There is no standing ground. What sprouts fails to yield flower. Even if they did, foreigners would swallow it up. You cannot prosper. You cannot prosper in God's ways by rejecting God. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the nations like discarded pottery. I mean, do you ever look at the picture of American Christianity right now? And just think, ah, the picture's not that good. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill. That's who we're supposed to be. You're the salt of the earth. And I think in scary words, he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? I mean, it's really hard. I'm not talking about your individual congregation, but it's really hard to not look across the landscape and say, maybe American Christianity is right now one of those states of like, what is it good for? Churches are declining. Baptisms are declining. What is it good for? The same sins that characterize our culture, ethnic partiality, sexual sin against women, greed. I mean, something, the same sins that characterize our culture characterize large pockets of so-called Christianity. And so he said, you know, Israel is swallowed up. You just like discarded pottery among the nations. You just out there looking like everybody else. What is it good for? Oh, brothers and sisters, we got to examine ourselves. We got to examine other people who so-called represent the name of Christianity and the true and the living God of all creation. We got to examine ourselves and remember God really calls the thing like it is. He really calls it like it is. He says in the eighth verse. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the nations like discarded pottery. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey going off on its own. Ephraim is paid for love. They, 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 they're just doing outrageous stuff. And you don't really have to be a news watcher to know that there's been some horrible stories in the news about Christian leaders and moral falls. Yeah. And long term long-term inconsistencies and hypocrisies. 
I mean, if something happens on an occasion at a time then one may have been overtaken with a fault. And Galatians says, if someone is overtaken with a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in love. I mean, if someone is like engaging in a pattern of sin over years, they're not overtaken in a fault. They have a pattern and a commitment of life to follow after that sin rather than following after the righteousness of God. Our witness has been harmed tremendously. They're just doing outrageous things. He says uh, 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 they've gone up seeking help from Assyria like a wild donkey. They, they, they're so happy to, about to be with the Assyrians rather than uh, seeking the help of the Lord. Ephraim is paying for love and seeking satisfaction in all these sinful places. Even though they hire lovers among the nations, I will now round them up and they will begin to decrease in number under the burden of the kings and the leaders. Wow. They're making alliances with people who they think will help them and the people in no way help them. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, whether you are discipling someone, whether you are reaching out to someone, whether you're looking at yourself, are we truly loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And is that love demonstrated by a great desire to obey God's word? If not, I would beg us, turn back to the Lord. If not, I would remind us it matters not how skillfully you have made an idol. Repentance immediately opens up the arms of fellowship with the true and the living and the holy God. I'm not a tattooed person. If I had a tattoo, it might be 1 John 1.9. If we confess our faults, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, in the world of politics, when someone, when someone exposes you, they expose you to destroy you because they want to win and they don't want you to win. Or they want the power and they don't want you to have the power. In the world of business and corporate America, if someone exposes you, they expose you, they expose you because they want to get a competitive advantage over you. In the world of nations, if someone exposes you, they expose you because they want to get a political and a military advantage on you. The love of God is so amazing that when he exposes us, he exposes us because he wants to heal us. When he exposes us, he exposes us because he wants a relationship restored with us. He pleads with us. Remember I told you the picture of Hosea with the unfaithful wife and being a picture of God and unfaithful Israel? In chapter 2, he tells Hosea, symbolically tells his children, go plead with your mother. Go ask her to come back. Go tell her, I want to be with her. Isn't she unfaithful? 
Isn't she idolatrous? Isn't she breaking the covenant? I want to be with her. I want the relationship restored. My love is never stopping. So we feel convicted if we know people who are convicted. May they not see God trying to destroy them, but may they see God reaching out to them. And so Jesus says, so stunningly on the cross, and since I was the age of these little children I see right here, since I was that age, I've never gotten over. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The raw exposure of God, the spotlight being shown upon the sins of his people is never God's desire to destroy them, but that they might repent and he would heal them. Woo! That is some unbelievable love. And we see the ultimate demonstration of this. In the Lord Jesus Christ himself dying on the cross for our sins. Dying on the cross after earlier and not too soon, not too long earlier, he had to look at Peter as Peter was denying him. Died on the cross as he had to look out and he knew he had 12 disciples but only one was there, John. And yet... He died on the cross. That simple verse we memorized probably as children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So everything you don't understand about why God puts up with us, everything you don't understand about why God keeps coming back for us, my, my, late, pastor used to, my late pastor used to say it's wrapped up in that word soul. For God so loved the world. My brothers and sisters, God knows where we are. Despite our religious words and our religious setups and our religious actions, God knows truly where we are as regards our hearts loving him and our desire to obey his word. So as you interact with people, as you interact with yourself, may our hearts be true to God. Because he knows. And if we are distracted by things, giving everything we have to work, giving everything we have to hobbies, giving everything we have to ourselves, if we're distracted by things, please hear right now. God does not say, go away, you rebel. God says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Amen. Let's pray to God.